is he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized them, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. There was a very real sense that the work of God was about to stall out. One of the leaders of this growing group of New Testament Christians, James, was killed. He was referred to as one of the sons of thunder in the Gospels. And now another one of their leaders, Peter, had been captured and imprisoned. This brash, vocal, out front leader from among them. And there was fear growing among the people of God that his work would indeed stall out. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I wonder if you've ever felt like God's work in your situation or your life has stalled. Maybe you were excited about the traction that you had in your spiritual growth. Maybe you were really excited to serve in a specific area of the ministry of our church. Or maybe you were excited about what God was doing in our church and in this community at large. But then, then something happened. Conflict, perhaps. A difficult situation, maybe. Something that discouraged you. Maybe you embraced some habit of sin in your life. Or maybe you just got bored. What do the people of God do when they sense or when they fear that his work among them is under threat, that it's stalling out? Well, verse 5 tells us what these New Testament Christians did. It said, when faced with this reality, earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. This is prayer that is serious, it's intentional, it's fervent, it's more prolonged than those little arrow prayers that we send up to God while we're driving. It's more focused than that five to ten minutes that we are in the habit of setting aside each day. Earnest prayer. And in this context, it happens together. The people see something that is impossible to overcome. And often these impossible situations to overcome just point us to the larger reality of ongoing dependence. And so what do they do? They plead with God together. And they look for the results together of this earnest prayer. So let me encourage you. When things don't seem to be going according to plan, when you become apathetic or when there's threat that you sense to what God is doing in your life, when there's real need among the body of Christians here, the people of God get together to pray.
Let's do that very thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thinking of the many needs of this church, our nation, and the world. We think first of those in our midst who have physical, emotional, or financial needs, and we ask that you would meet those needs as only you can. Many are in desperate situations and feeling like there is no answer, but we know that you are the answer. Father, speak to their hearts and bring peace to their lives. Give them wisdom as they make decisions for the future. We pray also for those who do not yet know you, that you would soften hearts, maybe even today, and draw them to yourself, that they may enter into a saving relationship with you, for that ultimately is our greatest need. Father, our country needs you so desperately. We pray that even though we are months away from elections, that you will be involved in that process and that truth will be known and people will make wise decisions as they choose their favorite candidates. We pray that our country will be humble, will seek your face, turn from our wicked ways, and that you would heal our land. We pray that we would return to you and the principles that the nation was founded upon. And we pray for our world, which is in such chaos. Father, it is overwhelming when we see people who are filled with so much hate and the desire to harm one another. May you bring peace to our world. In the midst of all this noise, may we hear your voice. Especially as we enter into the season of Thanksgiving, Father, make us truly grateful for all you have done, all you have given us, and the many ways you have blessed us. Even in the midst of difficulties, which most of us have, may we be truly thankful for your presence and provision for our lives. And above all, may we be thankful for Jesus and his eternal provision, which he provided by his death on the cross. It is in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. We stand and verbalize together our dependence upon the Lord. We need him every hour.
many ways that we need God and one of the many things that the church prays for is that God would accomplish his mission and that he would raise up specific people to serve in this mission. In Acts chapter 13, while the Christians of this new church are worshiping, something amazing happens. It says this, while they were worshiping, verse 2, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. God's global plan for the expanse of the gospel is enacted through the raising up of specific men and women to join in this endeavor of international missions. And the way that he makes these missionaries known is important. God takes families of Christians like this one, and while they do life together, while they pursue him together, while they worship him together, while they fast together, he calls out from among them men and women to serve him in unique capacities. And as that happens, we see God is the one who calls. But the church plays a very important role of recognizing, supporting, and sending out these missionaries. Did you know that there are 11,489 specific people groups around the world today? Of that almost 11,500 6,832 of these people groups are groups in which there are less than 2% that comprise evangelical Christians. So by definition, they are unreached with the gospel. Of that number, 
there are approximately 3,264 groups of people that are not engaged in gospel work by anyone. No church planting methods, no evangelism strategies, no action that is consistent with the evangelical faith. And when you hear numbers like that and they're sort of abstract, the people themselves are abstract in their nature. There's some groups of people way over there, some other side of the world. It's very easy for us to be tempted to think with that many people, that many groups of people, what could we possibly do to make a difference? I read a story about an old man who was walking the beach at dawn one morning, and he noticed ahead of him a young man picking up starfish and flinging them back into the ocean. And intrigued by what was going on, he hurried along on his walk until he caught up to the young man, and he said, what are you doing? To which the young man went on to explain, well, with the way the tide is working right now, and the sun is coming up soon, if these starfish aren't returned to the water, they will die. And the old man looked at him, and he looked down the beach, and he said, but there are miles of beach ahead of us, and surely millions of starfish have, walked, have washed up on shore. What possible difference can you make? And the young man looked at the starfish in his hand, and he threw it back into the water, and he said, well... It made a difference to that one. The time is urgent. The day of Christ's return is coming very quickly. And many, many more people need to hear about him. And our generation will be held accountable, not for what generations before us have done and not for what generations after us will do, but our generation will be held accountable for what we do with the resources God gives us to accomplish this mission of gospel change. Christian missions drives the growth of the global church. And so as the church, we worship God, we follow him, we pursue him, and we pray very specifically for the lost, and that God would raise up people among us, this congregation, to reach the lost in unique capacities. This morning, we are going to pray along those lines, and we're going to recognize a few families that we believe God is raising up to this very call. And so with that, I'll turn it over to Pastor Chris, and we will pray and recognize these families in a moment. John and Jess, Sean and Ashley, come on up. As we enter into this next segment of prayer, we do want to recognize these two couples who um, maybe this time next year will be on opposite ends of the globe. Um, and while we, uh, we want to give you uh, some information about where they're going, we'll do that in a more extensive way as they get closer to departure. But Sean and Ashley have spent the last several years living at uh, St. Elizabeth Hospital and practicing medicine, uh, preparing to become medical missionaries. Uh, now we know the country, it's Nigeria, and so they will be traveling uh, through Samaritan's Purse. And then John and Jess are heading to a very unique country, a very difficult country, uh, the country of Morocco, uh, to start a business, which is one of the only ways you can get even your foot in the door for ministry, but also to bring the gospel to a country and a group of people 
uh, that very, very much need to hear it. And so while we are going to and will pray for them specifically, they are also representing what we just heard from the book of Acts, representing how God does, in fact, among a very ordinary community of Christians, raise up uh, ordinary people to do the extraordinary work of the ministry. So with that, let's pray. Father, as we reflect on this idea of mission and missions, may our hearts and our minds be first drawn and taken to the depth of your character. For you are a God who at his essence is a missionary God. You have, before the foundations of the world were laid, established a plan of redemption to secure unto yourself a people that you would call your own. And as early as the first chapters of the book of Genesis, we see you pursuing your people despite their sin and rebellion against you. We see you initiating and taking the first step in the plan of redemption, of purchasing back unto yourself a people of your very own And so, at your nature, you are a God of mission and purpose, and we certainly see it not only in your nature, but also in all that you have done as we think about the way in which you extended grace and favor to Noah to preserve the human race, as we think about the way that you came to Abraham and called him from a foreign land to be the father of your people, as we see the promises you made to him and to his sons, Isaac and Jacob, the way in which you carried that covenant promise through to Joseph and throughout the people Israel in the Old Testament, we are thankful for your faithfulness and your commitment to your mission. We see, Father, the mission of God culminating, of course, in the personal work of Jesus Christ as he left the glories of heaven to come to the mission field to come to the earth, to become one of us, and to successfully redeem us, to successfully provide the means back to a right relationship with you by living a perfect life, by dying a sacrificial and substitutionary death, and by being raised from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death and Satan once and for all. Father, this is the story now that we have the privilege of telling. So as we think about your character and your works, I pray that these things would move and motivate your church to continue on in the mission of the gospel, to not be distracted, to not grow weary, to not grow apathetic in the midst of suburban America, that you will help us to see the needs not only of our neighbors and our community, but the needs of the world and to throw one starfish at a time back into the ocean. And I'm thankful for four people standing next to me who have made that commitment, and I pray that you would bless and encourage them. When the road seems long, I ask that you will give them strength as they enter into different cultures and languages. May you give them great grace and favor to continue on in the task, and not only for Sean and Ashley and John and Jess, but the dozens of ministry partners that this congregation has in this nation and in this world. We pray that you will grant them success by the measure of faithfulness to your word and to the work of the gospel. Those who are weary, those who are ready to throw in the towel, I pray that even those who have released it into the air, that you would snatch it out of the air, speak words of life and of love into them, and may they continue to press forward in their work. And Father, I pray also that you will continue to raise up 
wall browns and rhymers, even in this congregation. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people, that you would open eyes to the great need in the world to know Jesus and to respond to him. And Lord, whether you do that for someone uh, who looks across the street to their neighbor or across the globe to a people group that has never heard of Jesus' name, that you would continue to raise up those who would go and give us the wisdom and grace to recognize and to support that work. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Thank you for your mission, which touches us in a very personal way. Your mission has come to us. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospels proclaimed locally, regionally, and internationally that all the earth would sing. So let's sing that. Praise the
God's people, the church, prays for boldness. For some of us, the problem is fear. We don't know what to say when we think about the idea of telling people about Jesus. We don't know if we'll have the opportunity to share with anyone. And some of us are afraid of the ever-increasing reality that in our culture, and increasingly so during our time, the message of the gospel and the voice of Christians will be marginalized. Our society is secularizing at an incredible rate. And for some of us, that makes us afraid. Howard Hendricks once said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are now stuttering. For some of us, the problem isn't fear. The problem is apathy. When we really take a hard look in the mirror, some of us just don't care enough about the work of God or care enough about the spiritual state of those around us who don't know Christ. We block out the reality of eternal destiny or eternal damnation. And we aren't motivated to engage along those lines. So for some of us, we're afraid. For some of us, we're apathetic. Some of us just really want to fit in. Over 30 years ago, a university did an experiment in which they took 10 students into a classroom. And they held up a card with three lines of different lengths on it. They were instructed to point or to raise their hand when the instructor pointed to the longest of the three lines. But here was the experiment part. Before the students were brought into the room, nine out of the ten were instructed to disregard what was going to happen in the classroom and to only raise their hand when the instructor pointed to the second of the longest lines. And so there was one stooge among them. And this is what happened. When the instructor pointed to the longest line, that one student raised his or her hand quickly. And then looking around and noticing they were alone, would lower their hand. As the experiment was repeated again and again and again, they found that 75% of elementary, middle school, and high school students would engage in that way. And they concluded that many would rather fit in than be right. Both of these problems, fear and apathy, or even the problem of just desiring to fit in, are rooted in the fact or a misunderstanding of really who God is and how God works. When we think about evangelism, when we think about sharing our faith, it's so easy to be short-sighted and not realize that the one who has told us to do this has all authority over everything. And he is working both sides of this divine equation. He's working through your voice as you speak to somebody or look for opportunities to engage. And he is working through the hearts and minds and ears of those who are hearing. God is working in all kinds of ways around us that we can't see and don't understand. But so often we just don't trust that he's doing that. And therefore, we lack boldness. In Acts chapter 4... 
Peter and John had been telling people about Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers. And as they were doing so, they were called before the elders and the chief priests and threatened and sternly warned, do not continue to share about Jesus. And when they came back to the people of God, the result was that they prayed. But listen, as I read this text, what their prayer is grounded in. Their prayer is not just grounded in love for other people. Their prayer is not grounded in their own ability. Their prayer is grounded in the reality of who God himself is. This is what it says. Acts 4, starting at verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, O oh Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Please pray with me. Lord God, you are a great and mighty king. You know all and you see all. There is nothing or no person outside of your reach. And we worship you. And we confess to you, God, that so often we are afraid. And so often we are apathetic. And so often we just want to blend in. But we know that the message of Jesus compels us. We know that you command us. We know that one of the most rewarding things in this life is to walk along another person and show them the truth of who you are and what you've done for them. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us. That you would give us a renewed vigor for the task of sharing our faith that we would not be satisfied with the status quo, that we would be bold in our approach before you, that we would be bold in looking for opportunities to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors and even people we come in contact, and that we would be bold in our speech. Lord, we need your help in this, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
much for singing. We're going to close in just a moment here by way of quick housekeeping. If you're sticking around for Deck the Halls this afternoon, first of all, thank you for that. You can just hang around right here in the worship center for instructions. That'll be a good time of fellowship to decorate the church this afternoon. Otherwise, let's, uh, let's close in prayer.